0: Welcome to Transformative Talk. Each episode is hosted by a different graduate student in Dr. Haddad's courses at the University of Texas in San Antonio. Join us today as we explore how educators can use critical social theories to transform themselves and their classrooms. Educators can get real and share real-life experiences, near misses, and big little
1: wins. One. This is Alexa. This is Tricia. And this is
2: Bonnie, your host for this episode of Transformative Talk. In this episode, we're going to talk about critical race theory, also known as CRT. So to start off, I kind of want to try and define CRT. But As we saw from our readings, it's a pretty complex theory. But in the reading from Yosso, she provided a pretty simple definition. Uh, she defines CRT in education as a theoretical and analytical framework that challenges the way the ways race and racism impact educational structures, practices, and discourse. But what does that really mean?
0: It's a very complicated um, definition, but when I think of it, I, I think of the difference between not being, being not racist versus being anti-racist and kind of putting things into play in order to stop some of those structures that are already in place.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not enough for an individual to say, um, I'm not racist, I don't practice any forms of racism, I don't teach my kids to practice racism, um, I don't tolerate racism. It's, they have to realize that racism is much deeper than the individual and it's embedded in the American culture and policies And this is where, to me, it's more effective to be anti-racist than, you know, non-racist, to fight against racism. And the...
0: So... Um, I'm gonna bring up the people that were involved in um, beginning critical race theory. It's very interesting. So the theory began with a man, Derek Bell, who's an African-American man, and Alan Freeman, a white man, um, and challenging the traditional legal scholarship in favor of focusing on individuals and groups in social and cultural contexts. And that definition, that that background came from the last Billings reading that we did last week.
1: Right. And you know, it's also important um, in the development of the CRT work is W.E.B. DuBose. DuBose was a social justice advocate and spokesman for African-American rights, and among his many accolades, DuBose was the first Black man to earn a PhD from Harvard and is a co-founding member of the NAACP, which is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Um, One of the biggest contributions to the CRT field was his landmark study in 1899, the Philadelphia Negro, which was the first case of an African-American community, um, case study of an African-American community, but it was his 1903 publication, The Souls of Black Folk, that he introduced the revolutionary theory of double consciousness to CRT. And the double consciousness idea is that it's difficult for Black and marginalized people to have a unified identity because they always have to compare themselves and their culture to the dominant white culture that does not value them. Um, It becomes a question of how can I, as a Black person, consider myself an American citizen and accept American culture at the same time? Um, In this sense, accepting American culture is like rejecting the Black self. Um, One of our classmates, Stella Benavides, quoted about the double consciousness. She said, "Um, could this be learning to play the game, learning the rules, play white to get ahead, but still preserve your cultural values? Do y'all think about that, do you think that's what sort of the double consciousness is?
2: Yeah. um, Actually, that quote from Stella kind of reminded me of that uh, example from the Levinson chapter of that Black, you know, mother who had to make that tough decision between sending her kid to the better school, which was, happened to be a predominantly white school, or sending her to a school, or sending her kid to a school that had less resources, less funding, but there was probably a greater chance that that school would integrate some black culture into the learning.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I thought that was an interesting example of double consciousness.
1: Yeah, we also had another quote from our classmate, Erin Sandrin, And she said, I had not heard of double consciousness before. This passage spoke to me because I sometimes do not realize the impact of our systems and institutions on people the stress of all this tension would seem suffocating. And that I would definitely have to agree with her on.
2: So Trisha, I know we talked about another example, which is the differences between HBCUs and PWIs. So often that leaves students um, in a position to where they have to choose between a school that aligns with their culture, or choosing the school that has more resources. And this is something that me and my fiance talk about all the time because we had opposite experiences. Mm -hmm. So I went to a PWI and, you know, while while I appreciate the resources and all the connections that I made, I often feel like I missed out on that, you know, HBCU experience. So what are your thoughts on that? Have you had any experiences with that?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's the same as you. Um, I went to a PWI as well. And it's when I told, well, the people that know me, you know, know who I am, and they know that I appreciate my Black culture. I'm not ashamed of my Black culture. Um, but I remembered when I went to, it was a picnic of some sort and there were all kinds of people there, black people, white people. Um, And we talked about our our colleges and what schools we went to. And I was in a group of black peers and told them that I went to Stanford. And their immediate reaction, not all of them, but a lot of them immediate reaction was, oh, so you sold out. You decided to go to a white school. You, You aren't supporting your black schools. What's up with that? And, you know, that definitely is that double consciousness there because people who don't know you look at you and think just because you made this choice that you're a sellout when there are so many different variables that go into making that choice. But yeah, I did miss out on the Black experience, like you said, at your school. Um, But there's a trade-off. You just can't have it all.
2: Right. Well, maybe one day, you know, we won't have to make that choice, and we'll be able to to get both in one experience. Absolutely. Um, but thanks for sharing your story. That actually brings us to um, the next idea, which is storytelling and counter storytelling. So one of the CRT tenets. Asserts that the experiential knowledge of people of color is appropriate, legitimate, and an integral part of analyzing and understanding racial equality.
0: So we have an example from a classmate who was telling a story um, of a time when he was driving in a rental car. He was um, pulled over by the police. And when I was listening to this story, it really struck me, Um, and I see it as as a counter story to my own experience. So we're going to play a clip of um, him talking about this experience
2: real quick.
3: It was. I'm, I'm thinking of the question, and uh, there's two instances I think. Uh, one, I was actually going on a trip uh, to see my mother. Uh, it was the time when I lived in Virginia. Uh, I rented a car like I normally do. Um, I already know that hey, I can't rent cars that's from uh, New York or DC or certain. States because you know that tends to bring more attention. I just get a little normal everyday car but uh, I got a car and I'm on my way and I'm driving maybe early morning maybe like 10 o'clock and then I find myself being uh, basically followed by the the local cops and so eventually he turns on his lights and I, I pull over. Uh, he comes over and just kind of checks over the car and you know gives the whole spill license registration. I tell him hey it's a rental car, can I, you know, reach down and get the, the rental agreement and things of that nature handed to him? I said, sure. And so he got that and so looked over the tags, looked over the car again, went back, uh, do whatever they do in the car and they come back and he's like, hey, you know, uh, okay, everything seems to check out, Mr. Brown. And I was like, hey, can I ask you, you know, what, why was I pulled over? And he said, well, I noticed that uh, you were coming close to the, um, the lane. Uh, line basically the white line that divides the lanes because I'm riding down the interstate. And I said, Oh, okay, was I, was I sweep? Was I swerving? Inside? He said, No, you just were driving close to it. And I'm like, Okay, I didn't realize that was a crime. He's like, Well, I just want to check to make sure you're okay. And
0: so, um, a couple of things struck me from his story. Number one, the obscure reason for him being pulled over, that he was getting too close to the line, that he wasn't swerving, wasn't doing anything illegal, but they pulled him over anyways. Um, And the other thing that struck me was him having to ask permission to pull out the paperwork from the glove compartment or wherever he had it in the car before reaching to grab it. Um, And it struck me because um, I've been pulled over once in my life and I plowed through this small town. The speed limit changed for about five miles and I didn't notice it. And I flew through that town. I was heavily speeding. Definitely could have gotten a ticket for that. I got pulled over. Um, the cop was very professional, very polite, noticed that I was freaking out from being pulled over. Um, let me go with a warning and that was it. And I feel like when we talk about, when we talk about police, um, that's the story, right? The story is that they're trying to protect us and do the right thing. But JD's counter story to mine um, struck me in, in knowing that he, as a black man, needed to ask permission before he reached into a certain part of his car um, was striking. And I feel like um, that's where I see my whiteness come through is I, I never would have even thought that I would need to ask before I reached around in my car to pick something up. Um, so this idea of storytelling and counter storytelling really does a lot of work in bringing to light the realities that people of color are facing. So knowing that that's my story, I wanted to ask you guys, why do you think it's so important that people of color share their stories?
1: Um, I think it's, um, important just for that validation. You know, sometimes you think as a person of color that oh, well, you know, I I guess that just happened to me. But then you start hearing other stories and you're like, wait, it happened to this black person and that black person. Okay. So it's not just an isolated incident. This is something that is going on in society. Um, Another example I can give in our Latson's building article that we read, there was a story in there about a woman who had gone into a grocery store and she forgot her checkbook and the checker allowed her to take her groceries home and then come back later and pay for the groceries whereas she told the story to her friend who happened to be african-american and he was like yeah no no way that would ever happen to me and so he actually went into the exact same store with the exact same checker and said that he left his checkbook and she told him, well, you need to push your groceries to the side, go home, get your checkbook and come back and buy your groceries. Um, that actually happened to me. <laughs> and this was back in 2001. And at the time I didn't think anything of it. You know, I was, I was on an Air Force base in Tampa, Florida. I had my little one-year-old daughter with me loading stuff on, and by the time I get to the front, I'm like, oh my god, I can't find my card, and I let the cashier know, I'm sorry, you know, my card isn't with me, and so my groceries had already been bagged, and she says, well, you know, we'll hold these to the side for you. you go ahead, find your car, go home, do what you need to do, and then come back, and we'll make sure you can pay for those groceries, and up until I read that story, like last week, I thought that was just, oh yeah, an isolated incident, they probably do this with everybody. But now I'm like, wow, was, was that really an act of racism? You know, I, I just, and I don't know, I don't know.
0: Wow, so my school that I work at um, for February did a Black History Month thing, as in like storytelling, we decorated doors around the campus, there were posters up, flyers, um, so, so they were making an attempt to tell certain stories during Black History Month, but I wonder whether you guys find that sufficient. Is that enough that we do things like that at school to try to promote Black history?
2: Um, in my opinion, I don't think it's enough. Um, first of all, I think it takes more than a month to really have that important dialogue and discourse and really engage students in those thoughts. Um, I don't think that just having students listen to a portion of, you know, MLK's I have a dream speech or, you know, posting up some pictures or some boards around the school is, you know, really enough to have students engage in that dialogue. So in my opinion, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done when it comes to trying to integrate, you know, certain cultures into the schools.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to agree with you on that one. I know when Black History Month was first created, it was done for a good reason, because there was nothing in the school curriculums about Black history. So that was our way, I I thought that would have been a good segue into making Black history a part of the school curriculum, you know? And it should be, it it shouldn't just be Black history, but it should be the history of America. And America is more than just, white men (laughs) you know include everybody's Mm -hmm. history the hispanic history the native um, american history include everybody's history so we don't have to have these separate months right and critical uh critical
2: multicultural education kind of made that point Mm -hmm. that when you uh confine something important like that to one month or to one time, that it kind of waters down the effect mm-hmm. that yeah. we're moving progress. So in order for us to make more progress in that area, it would involve you know, including it in all aspects of the curriculum. So yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, Tricia.
0: Interesting. Uh, we're going to go ahead and pause for a quick commercial break, but we're going to pick up with this conversation when we come right back. Welcome back to this week's transformative talk. I'm Bonnie here with Alexa and Tricia, and we're discussing critical race theory. So I wanna pick up on the conversation we left off with. Um, So if Black History Month celebrations just aren't cutting it, then what does CRT look like in the classroom?
2: So CRT is often criticized for being more based in theory and not in actual application so this is actually a topic that critical race theorists like get into you know discussions about all the time but in the Levinson chapter there was actually a pretty good example in there there was a urban high school teacher and he you know really tried to integrate some of the crt principles into his class so for example one of the things that he did was he had the students analyze the media and see how they, you know, portray certain racial stereotypes. So that's an example of just, you know, one little activity that you know could be integrated. Obviously, for maybe like upper-level students, but that was an example.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Um, okay, so what would you say to the white teachers that feel that they can't incorporate discussions of race because they can't relate? Or they don't, they're not educated on the topics enough what would you say to them
1: well you know i know race is an extremely sensitive issue in this country uh, which is why educators tend to shy away from it um but i don't think you necessarily have to experience something in order to be able to relate to it um just knowing that racism exists and the many different forms that it exists in is a start because you can begin to critically analyze everyday practices in your school and in your classroom um, and put a stop to those practices of racism that you see, those covert practices, um, or bring those to light. Um, And just let everyone be aware of what's going on, because if you're aware of it, there is definitely something that you can do about it. Also, there are websites like uh, the NAACP and the National Museum of African American History. They actually have pretty good um, lesson plans and videos about CRT. And there's a tab just for educators and you can go through there and look at all the resources that they have and see what all you can incorporate into your classroom from there. So just a simple Google search. Make sure the, the search is, uh, the, the source you, that you use is reputable. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of information out, out there that can kind of help you on your way. And I know, Alexa, you said you had visited the National African American Museum. How was that? I, I lived in Maryland, and it was completed after I moved. So I never had a chance to go back and see it. Um so it was really a life-changing experience
2: for me like for me it kind of felt like what we were talking about earlier with the HBCUs to just be surrounded by so much history and culture and honestly it opened up a lot of dialogue between me and my family like oh well did you know about this and you know i thought overall overall it was a really important you know experience that i had that kind of shaped the way that I saw myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also kind of brings up another point that you know, maybe for those you know, white teachers that feel that they don't you know, have a lot to say on the issue, encouraging the dialogue between the students. So instead of maybe you know, using a textbook material or textbook you know, information, you could you know, ask your students to comment on their experiences. And just through that storytelling, that'll you know, that count as some anti-racist and CRT
1: uh, principles. So that's awesome.
2: Right.
1: Now, Bonnie, I know, I don't mean to call you out, but I know at the beginning mm-hmm. of this chapter, you were just like, I don't know about this. You- I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've, you've learned a lot, though, from, from the beginning. I remember when we were going through our little classroom discussion, and you were like, oh, OK. I get it, this is really helpful. Did you have any new insight as to what you learned? Yes,
0: I was nervous and and, you know, Dr. Haddad pointed out at the beginning of the semester, there's gonna be at least one point in the semester where everyone feels a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I felt a little uncomfortable at the beginning. Um, but it has opened up my eyes a lot. And even, like, watching shows and seeing commercials and stuff, I'm starting to point things out, yeah. starting to notice so much, even in what I'm thinking and saying now. Um, but what I'm what maybe ashamed of is the fact that it took me this long. I'm 27 years old, and I'm finally, like, and I'm having to go to grad school to get the, these ideas, you know, in front of my face. Um, we, you know, in my undergrad, I did education as a major in my undergrad. And there was, there were some classes about, um, celebrating cultural diversity in your classroom and some discussions of not being colorblind, but it really wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. It was more of like a, a layer of, we've got to talk about this, but no, no, how do you do this in your classroom? How do you, um, defend students? How do you promote their stories? There was not enough of that. Um, so it's really opened my eyes to how much I didn't know. Um, and it's really, I've, I've checked my privilege (laughs) recently for sure.
1: That's awesome. And that's great. I'm I'm glad that's why we have a class like this. Uh, To me, I, I agree. It takes way too long. It doesn't make sense that we have to be in graduate school to learn this information.
2: Right. Right. I guess that explains why it's so important to start integrating CRT principles, you know, in earlier education, like starting in elementary school, introducing this dialogue. Because, you know, Bonnie, you shouldn't have to feel shame because, you know, the way the school system is set up, it was literally set up for you to not get this information. So that just shows the need that we need to get this started
1: earlier on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, ladies, for joining me. This is all for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share, subscribe, and leave the review wherever you discovered our show. We'll see you in the next episode of Transformative Talk.